The reading is from 7 Revelation uh, verses 1 to 17. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing round the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Zoe, and thank you for the prayers, and Sue for the reading. That was great. What did you think of the reading? Interesting. We're not used to apocalyptic literature, are we? But it was a popular style in the first century. So the people this letter was written to would have been familiar with what was being said. 
it, in, it contains amazing images, sort of in glorious technicolor, that give us a message, that tell us a truth. The trouble is we get tripped up as we start to look at it through our literal eyes. You're probably all going, who are the 144,000? It's not a description of ethnic Jews. It's a picture of God's kingdom, God's new kingdom. It's almost certainly the same group of people as that multitude that's taken on later on. The commentators tell me that it's, it's a picture of God's entire kingdom. It's complete. That's what they're trying to tell us. But it's an exciting passage. Let me read to you what uh, Tom Wright says about the book of Revelation. Just to whet your appetite. He says it offers one of the clearest and sharpest visions of God's ultimate purpose for the whole of creation and of the way in which the powerful forces of evil are being overthrown through the victory of Jesus the Messiah. Wow. But where do you start with Revelation? Well, you start at the beginning. As Becky said, the Apostle John wrote Revelation, probably in the mid-AD 90s. That's what most people seem to think. And he tells us it's the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show seven churches in the province of Asia what soon must take place. So this is a message for seven churches. Those seven churches are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now these churches are, have you got the map? Oh great, the map is up. These seven churches were on a circular trade work route in western Turkey, and what happened was letters that would have been sent to one church would have been passed around the others. In fact, that was the case with the majority of the letters in the New Testament. They weren't just read by the church that it was sent to. It was read by a number of churches. And certainly if you read Paul's Gospels, he, taught, he encourages them to pass the letters around. <clears throat> the situation was, and the reason for the urgency of Revelation, is these churches were suffering persecution. They'd seen what had happened with Christians in Rome under Nero, who he blamed for the fire. And he did horrendous things to them. And that had started to move out across the Roman Empire. And the current Emperor Domitian has, was particularly targeting Jews and Christians at the time. One of the nice things about Revelation is in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we get a little pen portrait of each of the seven churches. So we can get an understanding of their situation and what this letter was designed to communicate to them. Now we know some of the churches were faithful and were complimented for the way they were walking with God. But the concern was with this coming persecution that they might start to slip away. Others of the churches had already started down that road. 
they'd started to compromise. Some of the churches were Christian in name only. They'd lost their love for God. Laodicea was lukewarm. One of the churches had great theology, but their faith wasn't real. There was no heart or gut, as Matt talks about, in their faith. One of the churches had allowed strange ideas to infiltrate their teaching. They'd allowed someone who had weird ideas to move them away from the gospel and into sin. Some of the churches were desperately poor. Others were better off. It's quite an interesting picture of the churches, isn't it? And if you think about the churches across the world today, this is a great description of the churches today as well, isn't it? We may not in the UK be suffering the physical persecution they talked about, but we all know of countries where that is the case. So we've got these seven small churches in Western Asia, facing increasing persecution. So what is the message John gives them that he's been given by the angel? Well, the first one is this picture that you've got about these four winds coming from the four corners of the earth that the angels are holding back. Now, this is an idea and a concept that's repeated several times in Scripture, most notably in the chapter before this one. In that chapter, it's not four winds, it's four horsemen. And in Zechariah, it's four chariots. And this is a picture of evil coming across the earth. And that evil could be in any one of a number of forms. It could be war, oppression, Famine, heresy, people worshipping other gods. But then we get this picture of the angels holding it back so that God's people can be sealed. This takes us back to an image of the Exodus. You may be familiar with the final of the plagues where the angel of death came across and the firstborn Egyptian children were killed. But God's people were spared because the blood of a lamb was placed above their doorposts. And this sort of mirrors that picture that God is going to protect his people. Now this isn't a protection that says they will not suffer there will be persecution. They will suffer. They will be spread. But we will, they will spread out. But what he's saying to them is, I know who you are. You will be ultimately victorious. I will bring you through this into eternity with me. We have the advantage of history. We know what happens next. These tiny churches are facing persecution and saying, are we still going to be around? But we know two centuries later, Christianity, they're not trying to wipe out the Christians. It's the dominant religion. 
It's the religion of the emperor of Rome. God has done something miraculous. God is in control. And there are examples of this throughout history. In 1949, it is estimated there were about a million Protestant Christians in China. In 2010, the estimate, a conservative estimate, is 58 million. There are numbers that are much higher, much, much higher than that, but a conservative estimate is 58 million. That's despite persecution, suppression, and restriction of Christianity in China. And as a consequence, Christianity has not only survived and revived, but thrived in many parts of China. The Economist wrote an article in 2016 to try and explain it from a sociological perspective. It said that they thought that the house church movement, the fact that the numbers were restricted, and once the church got to a certain size, it had to divide, was a critical reason why the church had grown. You see, God is at work, even under persecution. Matthew gives us this picture of the yeast working through the dough. That is what God's kingdom is. That's how it works. It doesn't come from the top. It comes through God's people, out. So God is not only protecting his church, but he's enabling it to spread. As I said at the start, that 144K and that multitude of every nation are one and the same. This is a description of God's people. And there are two characteristics in this passage of God's people. The first is that they're wearing white robes. They're pure and holy and victorious. They've been cleansed by Jesus' blood. Jesus' death and resurrection has been effective for them. They're pure and acceptable to God because of what God has done for them. Salvation belongs to our God that Becky talked about earlier. The second is this idea of being sealed again. Now, this is an image that will have been familiar to them. This isn't a new idea. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. Now, remember, when Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, they'll have passed this letter around the other churches. They will have seen this. And what Paul says in that letter mirrors very much the message that is in Revelation here. He says in verse 13, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. And what was that seal? It was the promised Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? It's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. It guarantees that you're going to come through this persecution until the redemption of those who are in God's possession. So the wonderful thing for me here is not only is God giving them these white robes that they're saved, 
Not only is he marking them with a tick to say that they're okay, and he will catch them at the end. Because that seal is God's Holy Spirit, he is walking through their lives and the persecution with him. We then come to the final picture, the one that we've read out several times. And it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How many of you, the word palm branches, triggered something in your mind? Yeah? A picture of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And people shouting, Hosanna! to the son of David. Hosanna means God save us. They're calling out to Jesus as he goes to be crucified. God save us. This is a slightly different thing they're saying, isn't it? God has won their salvation. They no longer need to call out to God to save them because salvation belongs to our God. They know that they have been saved. They know that their hope is secure because salvation belongs to their God. And that salvation isn't for one group of people, is it? It's not for ethnic Jews, or people in Western Turkey, or people in Europe, or people in China. It doesn't matter where you were born. Who your parents are is irrelevant. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what the pigment of your skin is or what your facial features are like. God's grace is available to all. That's how God designed it. That's how it's going to be in the end because that's the picture that we've been given. As we read our news and you flick through the latest stories on your smartphone. There's lots of arguments about immigration and refugees. What are we going to do about them? And it doesn't really matter which end of the perspective it is. I believe God has a plan. It's getting harder to go overseas to share the gospel. Maybe God is bringing people to the UK so that they can discover God's grace 
and hope. Or maybe it's the other way around. That God is bringing Christians from overseas to come to the UK. To help inspire and bring us as a nation back to God. Because I believe God is in control and God is still at work redeeming that multitude across every nation. So can I encourage you to speak out God's truth? And if you don't know Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been born or what language you speak, God's gift of salvation is for you. So if you don't know him, can I encourage you to come to him? Come to him this morning. We have people who will pray with you. Seek his forgiveness. And Jesus will come. And you can receive the Holy Spirit as a seal for you too. I want to leave you with that picture at the end of the passage that we read. What does the future hold? What is eternity like? We often say, you know, am I going to have a body like this? What is it going to look like? This, for me, this passage talks to our inner needs, which become under sharp focus when you're afraid for your life or your situation. It says to those people, and it says to us today, you'll be before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And... He who sits on the throne will spread his tent over you. What it's saying is you will be in God's presence. That God who sent his son to die for you. That God who is sealing you with his Holy Spirit that will walk with you through every trial of life. You will be in his presence You won't be in the outer courts. You will be close to him. You're not going to hunger anymore. You're not going to thirst anymore. The sun won't beat upon you and you won't suffer under scorching heat. Your needs will be met. You no longer have to worry about what you need Physically. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Jesus will be there. He will be your shepherd. He will lead you to springs of living water. And will wipe away every tear from your eyes. This is what we were created for. This is what God has in store for each one of us. 
This is why we have been sealed for eternity by the Holy Spirit. And we're now going to move to a time of communion. This is a time when we come together to remember the story of Christ's death. His resurrection and his coming glory. We don't do this alone. There are hundreds of millions of Christians across the world from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They will gather as we do to give thanks for the good work that Jesus began and that God has guaranteed he will bring to completion. We gather together to seek the Spirit's indwelling as we take our place on the road to the new heaven and the new earth.